0: ...about something that we have been commanded to do by Christ. It is called the Great Commission. That Great Commission is that we have instructions directly from Christ himself that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And it's that I want to focus your attention on this morning and I want you to see the vital part that you play in this whole process. I sort of dreamt up a little story scenario uh, linked with this meeting in the park on the 25th. Uh, all of the people in this little story are fictitious, but they are real. You will identify perhaps with them or with the story. You've been coming to this church for some years and um, you're a committed Christian. Your neighbour, a very nice person that you get on with very well. She spent time in your house and you spent time in her house. I'll give her her name. Her name is Susan. You get on really well. She's not a Christian. Uh, You are. Uh, You've shared some things about Christ with her, Christianity, but she doesn't really understand. She's very polite. uh, but She's not condescending. She respects you because you're her friend. She understands that you have something, you've discovered something that's real about God, or but she doesn't get it. But she listens to what you have to say. You've invited her maybe to church uh, before, more than once, maybe to a special meeting, maybe to something that was put on by the church so that those that don't know Christ could come. She's never come you have a sense that she's drawing herself back a little bit from that, although she is a friend of yours. You meet her this week and you tell her about what you're doing. Actually, we're not going to have church in church this week. We're going to have church in the park. So she thinks, oh, this is weird. I've never heard of this before. Yeah, we're just going to get together and um, we play some games and there'll be a short message, I'm sure, and some songs and... And she shares this. And to her surprise, Susan says, I'll come. You know, I thought, are there any Susans in our church so I won't pick on any Susans? And, of course, there's Sue Sutton. Sorry, Sue. Anyway, it's a good story about you, Sue. Don't worry. And it might have a ring of truth to it. I don't know. To, To your surprise, she's coming. And there's some apprehension, you know, you've always wanted her to come, but now she's coming. You're a bit like, oh dear, I wonder what it's going to be like, you know what I mean? What will she think of the singing and what about who's going to speak and will it be relevant and will it go on too long? And all this prayer that I've put up for my friend, will this one opportunity destroy everything that I've done over the years? She comes to the park. It's a sunny day, believe it or not. The, the music's fine. It's all right. You know, it's, it's all right. And uh, there's nothing weird and odd going on. Uh, the speaker actually is short and relevant. And she goes, oh, praise God. I'm, I think he made some contact here. I think it made sense to people. And people are friendly to her. It works. She thinks, oh, this is so good. And then she comes here and she enters into the barbecue and it's nice and other people talk to her and it isn't overpowering, it's just about right. Then Susan says to you, can we go somewhere just quiet? I've got something to ask you. So you look around quickly and you go, maybe in one of the offices. So you go in an office, when she gets in there, she starts to cry. And you think, oh, what's gone wrong, you know? Is this terrible? Is this, is a marriage breaking up? Is it is something terrible with that? Chi- what is it? She says, you know, I think I want to become a Christian. Oh, it's only that, praise the Lord. And yet there is a sense of overwhelming joy in your heart, because that's what you wanted her to say many times. Now, you don't know what to do, you panic. You go, I oh, know, I'll go get Phil. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit clearly says to you, no, mm. no. So you think, what shall I do? Well, when you don't know what to do, you pray, yeah? Mm-hmm. So she says, let's pray, let's pray. And so she takes her friend Susan's hand. She doesn't know what to say, She's never done this before. Never prayed with anyone to receive Christ before. So she just prays whatever words come out. She thought, oh, probably sounds terrible. And as she opens her eyes at the end of the prayer, all the tears have gone. And her friend hugs her. And you are so pleased with yourself. And so you should be. She goes, and you help with the clearing up. Then you get hold of me. You say, do you know what happened? My friend gave her heart to Jesus. Oh, we're really excited. Praise God. Praise God. It's not a small thing that's happened. No, no. That lady, Sue, doesn't realise what happened that day, at that moment, in that room, changed eternity for her. Not only this life, but the whole destiny of her life forever and forever and forever. The Bible puts it like this. A lost sheep is found. Jesus went and brought the lost sheep back. A person has been born again or born from above. Simply in that room, in an instant, in a moment, in a second, someone was born again. Another person has been added to the enormous family of God. Susan is now a sister to this woman. She's not just a friend or a neighbour. She's a sister. And the angels were rejoicing. And if you know that, you can hear them rejoicing when someone comes to Christ. But has she done what Jesus told her to do? Let's read Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and twenty. If you've been a Christian sometime, you'll know this. It should come up on here. This be good. It's worth waiting because maybe you haven't got a Bible or you don't know this sort of stuff. I'll just wait till it comes up. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and twenty. Put the old visual people on the spot there. Sorry, folks. (laughs) Can't, Samuel, you can do it, boy. What we call a pregnant pause. (laughs) How are we doing? We're going to get there? No? Okay. Hands went up in despair. Never mind. Praise God for the written word. eh? Hallelujah. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, We are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, let's not steer away from the marvellous thing that has happened. A bit more. A bit more. <laughs> we could. 19, <laughs> 19 and 20. Matthew 28. There we go. Now, when we get. Oh, 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 oh! There we go. When we get this, we're going to leave this up for some time because it was a big endeavor to get it. What's that time, then? <laughs> oh, I, I take no notice. I take no notice of clocks ticking. There we if it, <laughs> and 20? I'll carry on anyway, regardless. It is a wonderful, marvellous thing that this lady has been involved in the introduction of someone to Christ, a conversion. But now the work has only just begun. Would you agree with me? Based on the instruction of Jesus... It is not finished because we have led someone to a knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. The work has only just begun. David mentioned the Great Commission last week. And he said this, and I want to reiterate what he says, and he has said this many times. We were never commissioned to make converts to Christianity, We were never commissioned to make converts to Christianity, but to disciple to the Trinity, teaching them how to obey all that Christ has commanded them to do. That's the job that God has given us. That is the commission that rests not on me. It rests on us as the body of Christ. Of course, there's an invitation. And then the work begins to produce disciples of Jesus Christ. The word disciple appears in the New Testament 269 times. How many times do you think the word Christian appears? Three. You were pretty close when you said once. Three times the word Christian appears. The word disciple two hundred and sixty nine times and when it does mention Christian it's really making reference to disciples these disciples of Jesus we will call Christians you were never called to be a Christian you were called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ now that might take some (laughs) radical thinking because I look at the church I often see lots of Christians But not many have developed into being disciples and from disciples to workers. You might say, I've done my part. I brought the person to to church. That's what I was meant to do. I'm the laity. Philip, you're the clergy. You sort this out. Let me tell you something. There is no laity and clergy In the Bible it does not exist we have concocted that we have created a clergy who have said we are those that know the truth we are the ones that are tuned into God you're the plebs you need to listen to what we say and what we do that's not New Testament yes you say well you're our pastor God has graced me with the ability and I respect the fact that you value and see that in me and release me to be full time, but I am not clergy. I am not a priest. The priest ended at the end of the Old Testament. There is no reference to priest in the New Testament unless you're talking about Jesus Christ, our high priest who is interceding for us in heaven. Yes, he has a priestly office in heaven But I am not a priest and I am not the clergy. I am simply just like you. And if a responsibility falls on me to make disciples, it equally falls on you. We're in this together. That's a common phrase. It doesn't ring true when I watch it on television. But it's got to ring true in the church. It's not fair that you bring them here and expect me to do the rest. That's not fair and it will never happen while I'm here. Unless we do it together, it won't happen at all. But it needs to happen because, see, the church is always changing. It's not necessarily getting better. It loses ground. And to gain the ground it needed to have, it has to change. This church will change. It will change. We are changing from what we call a Sunday worship church people to an apostolic house. We don't know fully what an apostolic house is, but it will mean change and transformation. And for some of you, you might say, I don't like the change. I don't think I can continue going to hope. I hope that doesn't happen, but I hope you embrace the change and all that it means so we become what God wants us to be, an apostolic house. The Bible says clearly in Ephesians 4 and 12, he, Jesus, gave some to be pastors and teachers for what purpose? To prepare God's people for the works of service. My job is to train you and help you to do the work. What's happening in the park has nothing to do with me. You say, what do you mean we pay you to do it? No, you don't. Suresh came and said, I want to do this. I have a vision. I want to do something. So my blessing is get on with it, Suresh. I will will give you my my wisdom and my experience, but in the end, I'm not going to do it. i tell you now, I'm not going to do it. And that's the way we function as a church. People bring ministries and we say, that sounds exciting. This idea of going to Kenya and the football and the training and everything else and bringing young people to Christ, that's not my idea. God gives somebody a vision and as a church we get behind that vision and say, that sounds like God to me, let's do it together. We have to understand that. There is no clergy. We are all laity or we are all clergy, whichever way you want it. But we co share the work of the ministry together. The Christian life can be considered on three different levels. We have the convert, the person who newly comes to Christ and knows absolutely nothing. The convert then moves on to being a disciple, trained and equipped by the whole body of Christ to be obedient to everything Christ has commanded us to do. And from that period of discipleship, which does not last forever, apparently with Jesus, it lasted three years. That's it. Three years, three years of intense discipleship. And those disciples moved on from being disciples to workers. Are you a novice, a convert? Are you a disciple? or are you a worker? What are you? You must ask yourself the question. You say, well, I've been around a long time, but I don't think I've been discipled. It means you're still a convert. Unfortunately, you come under the category of Christian. And none of us have been called to be Christians. We've been called to be disciples who will develop into workers. For Christ. Most church attenders, they're shy or unsure about introducing others to Jesus Christ. As she stood with Susan in the office, she thought, I'll go get the clergy. Do you understand? I'll go get Philip. What for? I don't know what to say. Well, you won't know unless you start. I didn't know what to say until I started Nothing wonderful happened to me that landed on me that made me know what to say and what to do. Just like you. I didn't know the first time I had to lead someone to Christ, I led them to Christ. See, I'm a great believer in that church is for Christians and that we should be leading people to Christ out there. And when they come to Christ, we bring them to church, then it all makes sense. I feel sorry for people who come to church and aren't Christians, they go, what is going on? These people are off their head. I've never seen anything like this before. This is wild. Well, of course, but you see, if they're born again out there and they come in here, they go, I still don't know what's going on, but I think it's great. I think it's great. Because the spirit of God has come into them. They've entered into something. Why are so many Christians unsure about introducing others to Christ? Or even teaching them to obey Christ? If there wasn't a church and someone got saved, would you disciple them? Of course you would. You'd have no alternative. There's no way you could take them. See, unfortunately, People get converted and they're brought to church, but they're not discipled in church. They're just left there. Week after week or month after month and year after year. And if they've got any inclination, they end up discipling themselves. It's a terrible process because the church has not embraced the whole concept of receiving converts and discipling them into disciples of Christ who will eventually become workers. The vast majority of Christians, as I look around, they remain converts. And it's not their fault. I'm not having a go at you. Listen, if I'm having a go at anyone, I'm having a go at me. Because I have allowed a process a church process to develop that makes life very comfortable for me (coughs) instead of allowing the radical teachings of Jesus to become a reality. If we seriously set about discipling, half the church might leave because they've got so comfortable so long as converts and christians they don't want to be discipled and there's lots of churches that won't harass them into discipleship they can sit quietly in those churches and be converts i grew up going to church every week i listened to sermons I was told that I might serve God and be good. That's it. That's what I was told week after week after week after week. And I wanted to do those things because the Spirit of Christ was in me. But I can't remember anyone who was actually prepared to disciple me. No one did. No one took me as a young, enthusiastic Christian, put their arms around me and said, listen, Philip, for three years, I'm going to disciple you just like Jesus discipled his disciples. It is going to be intensive. It is going to be intrusive. Listen, you're either serious about following Jesus or you're not. No one ever said that to me. And so I simply Went to church and came home and went to church and came home and went to church and came home. And of course, I wanted to be a Christian, but I was never discipled. A lot of the discipling that happened in my life, I did it myself. I read the books. I went to conferences. I tried to understand what this stuff was all about This should not have happened in the local church. This is where people are discipled. Now, I can understand that some people say, yes, I want to be a Christian. And when the discipling process starts, they go, I never signed up for this. I'm out. That's fine. It's a shame. And maybe they'll have to come to Christ another day in another place in another time. But that doesn't mean we water down the word of God so we can have a lot of undiscipled people. So we've got big numbers. Better to have small numbers of disciples than big numbers of converts that never will ever be discipled. Now this is going to mean something to you, radically changing your life. I don't know if I want to radically change my life, thank you very much. See, if the word of God doesn't challenge us, if we're in the wrong place, it isn't the word of God. If we're in the wrong place and we're made to feel comfortable by the word of God, that isn't the word of God. Daphne says to me every Sunday, are you going to be nice to them? She, said, she really cares for you people. I said, no. I'm going to preach what God puts on my heart to preach. If it comes out nice, so much the better. I will say this, I do love you and I want the best for you. I don't mean I'm gonna be nice to you all the time, do you understand? And if you care about me and you see something wrong in my life, you must come and tell me. Do you understand? You're not being nice to me by leaving me in my mess. Amen. I <laughs> I'll never mess around around her, because she's sought me out and she's always down here. But do you understand? We want to be corrected if we're wrong, don't we? Otherwise, we just keep missing the mark. That's not good enough. It's not good enough to preach about discipleship. It's not good enough. This isn't the sermon next week and next week we go on to another one and another one. There has to be radical change in our fellowship for this sermon to become a reality. The church, that's us. Workers who need to prepare themselves to disciple converts. As a church, we can carry on doing what we've been doing. We produce some Christians, we encourage them to be good, we tell them to serve a little bit, but the next stop is heaven. That's a lie. That's a lie. There's a lot more between now and heaven. Or we can start making disciples of people, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. And then in turn, those disciples become workers, teaching the new converts to obey Christ in everything. You've never been disciple. I'll say it again. It's not your fault. It really is not your fault. You came with an enthusiasm to Christ. You didn't know anything. You put yourselves in the hands of the church and the church just left you floundering. Lovely to see you here. You're very welcome. See you next week. What on earth is that all about? Between now and next week, all hell will be released against this new convert. Do you realise that? The devil doesn't go, "Oh, oh, I've lost another convert. Oh, it's a terrible shame. He goes, listen, cut that Christian nonsense out of your life straight away. He's saying that by Sunday afternoon. He's saying, listen, here, I'm going to arrange some great parties for you this week. Your friends are going to phone you up. I'm going to get on to you. Within six days, I'll have you back out of that church. See, lovely to have you here. Maybe we could weep up tomorrow night. Don't give the devil a chance. Don't give the devil a chance. I wonder why our kids have drifted away from the Lord. Thankfully, they came back. But I wish I'd discipled them more. That doesn't mean I sit them in rows and beat them and make them learn things. But somehow, the love of God that I had, I could have demonstrated to them more. So they love God with all their heart. Jesus was a disciple, did you know? It says he learned obedience. That's it. Discipling is making people obedient. So Jesus was a disciple of his father. He grew up as a little child, And he was tempted in all ways, like all children are, like all young men are. And yet his father discipled him. He kept looking to his father. He kept obeying what his father told him to do. Rabbis were involved in the whole process of teaching, I'm sure. And his mum and dad were involved in the process as well. But Jesus was a disciple. And so he gathers 12 around him and he starts discipling them. And he has a view that they will be apostles, but others come as well. At one time, there was over a hundred disciples that were with Jesus. And he took it on board to disciple them. It was intense. It was intimate. He had three years to complete the work of discipling. That's why I say you can do it in three years. Jesus did it in three years. He set a pattern for us that if someone walks into this church and they don't know Jesus Christ, but they're passionate about being a born-again Christian, it's our job to descend on them and don't let them move. Unless it's Jesus. Obviously, if they pull away, you can't force Christ on somebody. But as long as they have an appetite for more, for learning, for growing, for becoming a real Christian... We should be there, ministering, feeding, looking after, nurturing. It needs to be intimate and intense as they observe, as they study, as they're obedient, as they are imitating you. Let's go back to Susan. I'll tell you something. This book is precious. It is the word of God. It is very instructive. But you don't need it much to make disciples. We have overemphasized the use of this book. You get what I mean? I hold it up in very high esteem as the Word of God, but I'm not going to hide behind it. Discipleship comes out of living relationships. Do you want to know how lovely Jesus is? Let me show you how lovely I am. (laughs) And then when you see how lovely I am, you go, How are you so lovely? You say, Because Jesus lives in me. You don't get that out of a book. You don't get it out of a book. If you come here and people are miserable and grumpy and not entering in, people look around and go, this looks like church. I don't want this to look like church. I'm so glad we meet in a cafe. People keep summing to me, can we put a sign out saying church? No, no. I don't want you to come to church. I want you to come to your family. I want you to come to people that love you. I want you to come to the reality of Christianity. Church destroys that. It becomes an institution. It becomes a temple. Someone said to me, I don't know if I've said this before, and I'm sure Lee won't mind. Someone said, does Lee go to church? He can't go to church. What's wrong with you? Lee can't go to church because all Lee knows is the family of God. I stopped going to church over 30 years ago. This isn't church. You are my family. This is where we worship God together. This is where we break bread together. I love you. I give my life for you. It's not church. Oh, you mean does Lee wandering to a building on Sundays and look around and sing some songs and listen to a, a teacher and come? Yes, he does that. But this is Lee's church. and We are his family. He can't find this no matter where he goes, unless God releases him from this and plants him somewhere else. And in time, it can become his church. Leaving church, listen, and this isn't a ploy to keep you here, leaving church is not an easy thing to do. You're ripping, you're ripping relationships apart and think, oh know I can wander into this one, and somehow I can smack two relationships together. You can't do that. It's taken years for you to love me and me to love you. It's taken years. Like I said the other time, longevity of time together does something. Just the fact that I see you all the time, or you see me, does something. I want to be part of a body i don't want to be a member of a church sue must discover our friend sue remember sue in the park she must discover how wonderful jesus is and get to know him please don't have a relationship with the church it's so sad the only thing that can sustain you is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Paul said, I knew nothing else but to preach unto you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul says, oh, that I might enter into the sufferings of Christ. He is our all in all. See, if Jesus isn't your everything, your all in all, your passion, How can you disciple someone else to love Jesus? She must spend time with people who think Jesus is the most wonderful person in the world. I love Jesus more than Daphne. A million times more than Daphne. More than my boys. If I ever had to choose between Jesus and my family, my family are dead. They're dead. You say, whoa, it's a bit harsh. That's what Jesus told us to do. He says, the way that you love me in comparison to your closest and nearest, it would appear that you hate them in comparison. Now, let's not get this wrong. I think Daphne is the most wonderful person who walks on this planet, and I love her deeply. But second to Jesus, she's a long way back. A long way back. And I'll tell you something. She would stand here and say the same thing. She says, I love Philip. But I tell you, when it comes to Jesus, he's a long way back. There's no problem in our love relationship. No problem. But Jesus, he needs to be the passion of our lives. It is Jesus that died for you. It is Jesus that's waiting for you in eternity. It's Jesus that's going to welcome you. It's Jesus that's given us everything. It's Jesus that's interceding for you now. It's Jesus at the right hand of God that has a focal uh, object on you and he's so passionate about you. And he just wants you to look back and gaze into his beauty and love him. We need disciples that's all of us. That when Susan talks to all of you, she comes up with one conclusion. My <laughs> God, that person loves Jesus. I, I, I couldn't get into the conversation when Jesus didn't pop up. Should I say what I was gonna say on Wednesday? Should I tell them? Okay, she's to blame. <laughs> After our service this morning, I want you to talk about nothing else but Jesus. Can you do that? If I come past you and you're talking about football (laughs) or cricket or work, (laughs) I'm going to say, why aren't you talking about Jesus? Why aren't you talking about Jesus? Errol, you can talk to me this morning if you talk to me about Jesus. (laughs) Nothing else, (laughs) understand jesus 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 it's true isn't it? you, yes, se- you sent me a text after the meeting didn't you yeah oh, it was so exciting it was good thank you very much you're a blessing you are number two susan must discover how jesus lived his life on earth how is she going to discover how Jesus lived his life on earth? Well, we we'll are pointed to the Gospels. It doesn't matter about original sin. It doesn't matter about all this stuff that we try to pump into people. It doesn't matter. Let them first discover Jesus. Don't bother trying to get them to learn the books of the Bible. Don't tell them the difference between an epistle and an apostle. Don't bother. Get them to... Meet Jesus. When they read about him in the Gospels, just focus on him and what he's doing. And they need to see Jesus in us. In us. We need to be doing the things that Jesus did. When people come to church, you've brought them to meet Jesus in you. In the singing, in the word, in everything. Jesus. To meet him through her disciples. Susan must discover the teaching and the direction and the correction. Like I said, she needs daily input. Comes on Sunday, it's fantastic. Monday morning at work, all hell breaks loose and the world's closing in on you. What did he say? Oh, go to church next Sunday. No, no, no. He needs to be, she needs to be on a phone saying, Phil, I'm in a mess. Linda, I'm in a mess. Abigail, I'm in a mess. Herman, I'm in a mess. Help me. Help me. Show me what to do. Speak to me. Talk to me. Say, listen, come round tonight. We'll deal with the issue then. Every day, every day, every day. You say, that's a bit intense. I don't know <coughs> if I can do that. You can. What are you going to do anyway? Only have dinner with your family and watch a bit of telly. Bring them in. Talk to them. Let them explain what their problems are. Show them if you need to from the word of God, but better show them from your own experience. Yes, I had those thoughts. Yes, that's where I was. Yes, this is what happened to me. See, my relationship with Lee, I saw him every day. Understand? He was discipled, he grew fast because of the input in his life on a daily basis. That's what Jesus planned, that's what he showed us to do. New people, invite them to sit at your table, you're cooking a meal, cook for two, do you always put stuff back in the fridge after you've eaten, is that only in our house? Daphne says to me, we could have had someone, we could have had someone. She always makes too much. She's to blame for this, do you understand this? (laughs) This has nothing to do with me. Listen, if you were married to Daphne, you'd be like this as well. She always makes more, always makes more. Susan must discover how to die and live beyond death. See, the disciples had three years with Jesus and then he died. That was horrendous. Can you imagine how awful that was? They had pinned everything on him. For three years, this was intense. And then he goes and dies. Do you know what he was doing? He was discipling them. He was saying, listen, you see the way I've died? You're going to die. All new converts... You've got to die. It's the first thing I'll teach you. It's the first thing the church teaches you. The first thing you do when you become a Christian is you get baptised in water. What is that? You just said, listen, you're going to die. You're going to die. Die to the world. Die to flesh. Die to everything. You've got to die to your old self to become a real Christian go, oh, what about my sport, and what about this, and what about my career, and what about that? You've got to die to it all. So Jesus becomes the only focus. Does that mean he won't give you a career? Of course he will. Does that mean you won't go to university? Of course, if it's in the plan of God, you will. Does that mean you won't earn a lot of money? Of course, if that's in the plan of God, you will. But he's first. He's always first. It all fits in. God's not stupid. It all fits in. But he has to be first. And we have to die. We have to leave everything for Christ. Susan must discover how to live in relationship with Jesus. She must come to church and see people worshipping God. Lost in praise and adoration. And she will go, that looks really good. I want some of that. Susan must never, ever, ever in her life ever go to church. Never go to an institutional building. She can only ever meet with precious brothers and sisters that love God passionately with all their heart. And she won't even say, I'm going to church. She'll say, I'm meeting with my family. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to that Philip who's absolutely bonkers about Jesus. I'm going to sing songs where these people simply love Jesus with all their heart. Because if they didn't, the worship wouldn't be as good as it is. The disciples of Jesus became disciples. They became workers in three years. And so must we. God bless you.